Well, good morning to you guys. Everybody doing good? Yeah? Okay. Let's go. Mark 14. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Uh, for those of you that don't know, here at Mercy Hill, uh, for this year in 2020, we are reading through the Bible together um, as a church. Uh, we're just reading one chapter a day, five days a week, uh, just through the New Testament. Um, and so uh, every week, for the most part here on Sunday mornings, I'm going to be preaching through one of the uh, five chapters that we will have hopefully read together as a church. If you would like to get on that Bible reading plan, you can go to the website, mercyhillfamily.com. There's also these little uh, printouts of the Bible reading plan that should be out there on the connect table. For those of you that would like to not just read it, but uh, take it a step further and dig into to every chapter a little bit more, there's a little bookmark with some questions to ask and a journaling plan for you. And uh, again, so far, it's only been a couple weeks, but I've really enjoyed it. I've heard a ton of good comments from everybody. I've heard several comments every week of how people are growing. And, and again, I just all that to say, because guys, this, this, this book, this word, his living word, that's, uh, that's the center of all that we do. And so this is the center of many of like discipleship relationships. And I know guys that uh, I'm discipling and you know, our small church, we just talked about one of the chapters this past week that we all read together, but we just wanna make every effort that we possibly can to make the word central, amen? Okay, because this is, this is God's word, this is what we got, this is, it's not just information, but uh, it transforms us, it's transformational because it is life to our souls. And so this week though, I'm gonna be in Mark chapter 14, uh, the last couple weeks I've been kind of given an overview of the five chapters, but I want to focus in just on one passage in particular in Mark chapter 14, uh, the first nine verses, and then I want, also want to read a few verses down in uh, 22 and through 24. But let me start here in Mark chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It says, now, it was two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry. This is really reaching a culmination point at the cross. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And then if you want to jump several verses down to the setting of the Last Supper, verses 22 through 24, also of Mark 14. It says, and as they were eating, he took bread, 
And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them. He said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Would you guys just bow your heads and pray with me one more time? Father, again, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I, I, I feel so inadequate. Um, this is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Lord, please help me to be faithful, but God, please just take me out of the way this morning. And I pray that your word would have its intended effect today. I pray that you would use it by the power of your spirit to stir our hearts and cause us to worship you. Thank you for being so good to us and thank you that we get to get together and do this. Please open the eyes of our heart now that we would see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, I, without question, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, the Lord has given me opportunity um, over the course of close to, close to 20 years now to preach, and I've, I've preached on this passage several times. But every time I come to it, I'm moved in a fresh and new way, and and again, there's a lot that could be said about it. Um, the, de the details in it are very beautiful. But one of the things in particular that I think Mark wants us to think about, specifically in his gospel, when he tells this story, because it's also recorded in Matthew and John. But I think he wants us to think a little about a little bit about just the different ways that we all as people, the different ways in which we respond to Jesus. At least that's the thing that's very much gripped my heart this past week. And I think it's one of the intentions of Mark as well. Um, this past week in our small church, again, we were looking at the Gospel of Mark and I brought up how there's a certain kind of literary device that Mark uses in his gospel, and, uh, and it, it appears several different times, and it's called a Markan sandwich, okay, which is kind of a funny name for theologians to use, because usually theologians try to make things sound much fancier than they need to be, um, and so they use really big words, and I always think, have to giggle that, to hear a theologian talk about a sandwich, but... Um, but they call it a Markin sandwich. I guess they just haven't come up with anything better because he'll have these stories that start and then stop and there's something sandwiched in between. And so for example, this past week we were looking in Mark chapter 11 of this story that is uh, sandwiched in between this cursing of the fig tree. Uh, back in Mark chapter 11, you've got this story of the fig tree that Jesus curses and then later on they see it again later and Jesus explains how the fig tree withered, and in between is the story of the cleansing of the temple, and, and there's several others, but, I just, but, but here in this passage, again, you have this unbelievable act of worship 
uh, by, and Mark's gospel is just, it's just um, this woman, but we know from John's gospel that it's Mary, the mother of, or I'm sorry, the sister to Martha and the sister of Lazarus that was raised from the dead. And it's sandwiched in between. This story is sandwiched in between a, a story of the religious leaders, the people who knew the Bible better than anyone. It, I mean, just to be called Mr. Pharisee, you had to have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. And, and they're off plotting to kill him, to murder him. And after the story of, of Mary's act of worship, you have Judas, one of the 12, not just a fringe follower, but somebody who had been with him from the beginning that Jesus chose to come and follow him and be in the inner circle. And he's, he's more than willing to sell Jesus out for a little bit of money. And so you've got these two crazy responses, but then you've got, you've got Mary in the middle here, sandwiched in between all this darkness. And this, this single act in this, in this moment, on this night, as Jesus' life is coming to a close, in this place, um, this place that's in the home of a guy named Simon the leper, probably somebody that Jesus had, had healed of leprosy at one point, most commentators think. And in the midst of all of this really extreme tension, here comes, here comes Mary with just this single pure act of devotion to Jesus. And again, the thing that I think Mark wants us to think about and that I think is just struck me this past week, I'm not saying it's profound, but just where my mind continues to go, is how all these people, so many people had, like, they, they saw the miracles, they heard the teaching. For the disciples, they even got the teaching explained to them in private afterwards, because they didn't get the parables either. They're like, explain the parable to us. He's like, okay, you know, okay, I'll explain it to you. And he unpacks it for them, and they still don't fully get it. Over the last several chapters in the Gospel of Mark, if you kind of just kind of read the storyline or, or don't, don't get too caught up in the details, but just see the overall flow, he's been telling them over and over and over again in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to hand me over. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day and every time the disciples are like huh what and they just they just don't they just don't fully fully get it even though he's telling them plainly and I don't know again I once Jesus dies like I, I don't even think Mary like fully gets it because you know uh, like nobody fully got the resurrection like they didn't just fully understand what he was talking about Yet at the same time, I just, I'm so moved by Mary's example here, and in the midst of all the different reactions or ways that people are responding to Jesus, I don't think she fully got it, I don't think she fully understood, but it sure seems like she understood a little bit more than a lot of people did. Again, they're just chilling 
at Simon the leper's house, and they're throwing a dinner in his honor. The disciples are there, many others are there. Um, Martha's there serving. Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead. I mean, that was kind of cool, right? Been dead for four days, sitting there like, well, thought this was going to be over, but here I am, you know? Um, and again, they're just, the disciples, you know, might be talking about who was, who was the greatest. I mean, the last time we see them, they're kind of arguing over that. They don't really get it. And in the midst of all of it, here comes, here comes Mary. And again, we're not told anything in any of the Gospels about this account. It, it, it doesn't say ever that she says a word. So I think we're to assume that she doesn't say anything. But in the midst of all the conversation, she, she just comes out with this alabaster flask or jar of ointment. It was very expensive. It was about a year's worth of wages, um, probably more than what she could afford. It was probably a family heirloom that was passed down. But it is safe to say that there was probably nothing in her life of more physical, monetary value than, than this. And she comes, and again, the flask is valuable, but what's inside is really valuable, really costly. Again, Mark just says, you can get into the details of you know, what all could have been done with this, but Mark just says, very costly. And she comes, and I, and I really want you to look at these details, and these details, or this detail in particular is specific only to Mark's gospel, that where John and Matthew say that she poured it out, um, Mark says that as well, but he says how she poured out, she, she broke it. That she came in, most historical commentaries think that it was probably this vial that had somewhat of a long neck on it, and that it was probably sealed, and maybe the only way to open it was to break it. And so she came, and she breaks it. And again, the idea here being that she, when she came, she came with the intention of giving absolutely everything that was in it. She didn't come with the intention of holding anything back. She came and she broke it with the intention of giving absolutely everything that she could. And again, the picture is beautiful <laughs> because the religious leaders for sure aren't doing this. Judas for sure isn't doing this. But even the disciples and even the rest of the masses, they're, they're for sure not doing this. In fact, we'll see in a little bit, they think it's, they think it's kind of a joke. They think, it's, they think it's wasteful. But how many of us come, and again, just the different ways that we respond to Jesus. And so many of us come, and when I say many of us, I'm saying me. My own, I see like even in these different responses, I see these different responses even within my own heart at different times and in different seasons. It seems like there's seasons in my life where I say, Jesus, I want to give you everything. I come to him and I'm just, I'm willing to be broken. I'm willing to be poured out. I'm willing to, to not hold anything back. But then there's other seasons where I'm honest, where I'm like, well, let's just, let's just pop the cap a little bit and just, boop, boop, boop. Oh, there's a little bit. That's what you that's what you get, Jesus. And I don't understand it. I, I don't understand my own heart, why at certain times in my life, 
It's like, I'm so willing to give Jesus absolutely everything. And then at other times in my life, I'm not. It's crazy. It's crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Why? Because he's always worthy, right? Right? He's always worthy. And, and again, Mary's offering here um, is, I think, a picture of how, like, I know that I want to live my life. And of course, this morning, you know, I'm preaching on this. So, you know, I got, you know, hopefully I'm all in this morning. I mean, and I want to be. You know, I think, I think that I am. I want you to be. I want, I want us to be. I'm sure you want to be because we're looking at it. We're looking at it too. But then Monday will come. <laughs> and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And sometimes by then, as I go throughout my week, I'm not, I'm just sprinkling out a little bit. <laughs> but Jesus is always worthy. Amen? He's always worthy. And Mary comes, and even though nobody else is doing this, again, it's not like, it's not like somebody else had, had kind of set the table. It's not like somebody else had kind of paved the way and, and, and suggested this or had given this as an example. This was just out of the abundance, out of the overflow of her heart. She wanted to give him absolutely everything that she had. And I think Mark wants us to see that it was sacrificial and at the same time insightful, that it's sacrificial and that it, it's very costly, there's, there would have been nothing else in her life that would have been of more value. And at the same time, it's insightful because, you know, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Like, it's just a couple days away. And I don't think that she, she fully understood, but yet she gets it somehow. While other people, while other people don't. And again, I, I know this is simple, guys. And I know that this is something that I'm sure you've heard before. But, like, do you get it this morning? Do you get it? Do you and I get it? That Jesus is worthy of absolutely everything. Everything. It, it makes absolutely no sense. It is illogical to confess the things that we confess about him, to check all the right doctrinal boxes that we say that we check about him. That he is the eternal son of God. He has always existed. He never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. And that he came and he died on a cross and all that he did for us and yet it just makes no sense for us just to, to give him a little bit. It's why our sin is illogical. Our sin is mindless. Our sin is insanity. Our sin is, is just sheer madness, craziness. That we would come and just think that it's okay just to sprinkle out a little bit upon this Savior. Doesn't make any sense and yet that's what we do. That's what I do. God help us. Because he's always worthy. He's always worthy. And again, if you can just imagine the story here, she comes and she breaks it and she pours it out. Um, in John's gospel, he says that it was about a pound. You know, this morning, uh, uh, Hannah usually buys my cologne because she's the one that has to smell me the most, so I don't know what smells good. But she tells me what smells good and I just go with it. I don't have a great nose. Anyway, um, but, you know, I'm usually, doing, I, I do three, you know, spritz here, spritz here, spritz here. That's about, that's, that, that's about it. And Hannah's like, yeah, that might be a little bit strong, but, you know, that, that's what I do. That's my routine in the morning. 
Maybe too much information there, but anyway, you're welcome. Um, but that's, that, that's what I do. But just, just, just three little spritzes, one here, one on, the, one on each one of the wrists, you know, and, and I'm good to go. It's a pound. It's a pound. Not just a few little spritzes, like less than an ounce. It's a, it's a pound. And so you can imagine, like, when she comes and she breaks this stuff, and, and again, um, some of the gospels say that, you know, she was also, you know, anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair, but others, as you know, you kind of harmonize the gospels. It says that she, she pours it over his head, which, you know, with a pound, there would have been more than enough. He's got a beard, and it's running into his beard, and then down over his entire body, and then down to his feet, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. Um... And it's just, it's just an intense scene. And if you can imagine what that must have smelled like, what that must have smelled like. In fact, I believe it's, uh, yeah, John's gospel that says that the whole, the entire house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And yeah, right? Like it was a pound of it. It would have been. But she pours it out, and here's the point is that, is that you, couldn't have, you couldn't have missed this. There was no way to not see what was going on. Even though she doesn't say a word, even though she doesn't make a big announcement, even though she, she doesn't say, hey, everybody, look here. I'm going to worship Jesus. It's not her intent at all. She's just worshiping Jesus, yet you couldn't miss it. Yet you couldn't miss it. And that's how it is, guys. We, you, you guys know that worship is a big deal for us here at Mercy Hill. In fact, you know, I, I don't know. If you, sometimes I don't know if you guys read the bulletins or not. But, um, but we hand out bulletins every week. You know, we got our mission statement put on there. To help every person continually worship Jesus. Why is that our mission statement? Because that's what you were created to do. Maybe you don't know that. And again, I don't mean to be arrogant or presumptuous. As you are. You, how, how can you tell me what I was made to do? Because the Bible says it. Because that's what God says about you, that we were created in his image. We were made to worship him. Even if you're here this morning and you have no idea what I'm talking about, this Jesus, and why, why we would love him, why we would, why, why we would give him our life. He is the creator of the entire world. The Bible says that all things were created through him and for him, and he upholds all things by his powerful word. And like I said earlier, even though we can't wrap our minds around it, he has always existed and he never ceased to be God, but he added to his divinity, humanity. And he came and put on humanity. He put on flesh, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that he clothed himself with flesh for the express purpose of being able to be a sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God on our behalf. That he paid the penalty for our sins. This eternal son of God that always existed forever, forever. The primary reason why he put on flesh, humanity, was so that he could die. Because each and every single one of us has rebelled against him. Because see, even though we were made to worship him, each and every single one of us has spent most of our life worshiping other things. And that is at the heart of sin. You can't not worship. When you were driving here this morning, your heart was delighting in something, and that's worship. And again, there's, it's, okay to, okay, it, it, it's okay to delight in the Amish country donuts out front this morning, all right? Praise God for the Amish country donuts. It's okay to delight in them in this way. 
that we delight in them and we take a bite of those things. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the Amish country donut. But everything, any sort of physical, natural delight that we experience, whether it's food or anything else, when Jesus, though, is at the head of everything, everything gets rolled up into who he is. So I can say with sincerity, when I bite into an Amish country donut, Jesus, I thank you for this Amish country donut. Because you thought about this. You made this. You invented, you you gave me taste buds on my tongue. And you gave me the ability to, to taste good things and to eat good food. We ate some good food last night at the Carlisle, amen? We like food around here, the partnership dinner. Um, but when Jesus is in his proper place, all these other little gifts that he gives, that he gives for our pleasure, they don't become idols, which is what happens when he's not in his proper place. But they become things that we can then roll up into worship to him. And again, Mary gets something here that, that a lot of people don't get, and, and I think that Mark wants us to see that her sacrifice was insightful. She, she, just, she gets something that the others don't get. It was sacrificial. It was very costly. But then he just, he shifts here into the response uh, of the witnesses or those that are seeing this. Again, everybody in the house would have known that this was going on even though Mary, you know, didn't try to draw attention to herself. She was just trying to give everything that she had to Jesus. And again, this is where I, I love that the story is in the different Gospels, because here in, in Mark, you see that it's just that those who, who, who see this, it says, verse 4, there were some who said to themselves, so just kind of, we don't know who all, just they say, you know, why was this ointment wasted like this? But then over in Matthew's Gospel, we see that when the disciples, the 12, saw it, they see that it's a waste. And then in John's Gospel, we see that specifically probably, that Judas Iscariot was probably leading the charge. And so as she begins to pour this out, it's probably something like this, is that Judas is, is, is thinking and maybe says, what? why this waste? And the disciples jump right in, yeah, what? this is wasteful. I mean, they were thinking the same thing, but Judas says it. And then everybody in the house, oh my goodness, Mary. How unnecessary. I mean, seriously. Why do you have to be so, so passionate, Mary? Why do you have to be so, so expressive? Why couldn't you just, I mean, just a little bit would have been enough, right? So again, even though she's being very sacrificial, the, the onlookers here, they think it's wasteful. They don't get it. And guys, here's the thing. If you're gonna worship Jesus and give him everything. I mean, if you're going to be willing to let your life be broken so that your life can be poured out, so that he can have absolutely everything that he's worthy of, you've got to just settle this in your heart and mind. Here's the deal. People aren't going to get it. They're not always going to get it. They're going to think that it's a waste. They're they're going to think that that you're going a a little bit too far. And yet at the same time, there's going to be something about it that just like her offering was, again, it's just such a beautiful physical picture of, what, of kind of a spiritual reality when we're all in for Jesus, is that even though they think it's wasteful, there's an aroma that they just can't deny. 
Like you couldn't, you couldn't miss it. I remember one of the first times um, I was, you guys know my story, that I was traveling with this little group of guys, called ourselves a ministry team. It was just me and three other guys in a 1988 wood grain minivan. Um, and we would get into, you know, youth groups or detention centers or any place that would, you know, listen to us share our testimonies in the gospel. And we'd do some, you know, little skits that we thought were awesome, but God in his extreme grace to us would use them, but they were ridiculous. Anyway, uh, but I grew up, and I, again, this is just my story. I'm not capping anybody. Like, it's just, it is what it is. I grew up in a little Baptist church in Berlin. Um, and man, I love all, all sorts of music. I still like hymns, you know, that's, I, I like all sorts of music. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we Baptists, you know, we, we had the hymnals, you know, in hand because if we didn't have the hymnals to hang on to, somebody might raise their hands, you know. Um, sorry, that was sarcastic, but, um, but kind of true. Uh, but, but that's just what I was used to. And I'll never forget, we, one of the first places we stopped was in this little town in Langley, Oklahoma. Langley is like Killbuck, Okay. Not knocking Killbuck, I'm just saying it's, it's small. And uh, it was in a little storefront church in town. And I'll never forget, it was a charismatic church, by the way, too. So this was, you know, this was rocking my world. Like, I just didn't, I had not seen this before, okay? You know, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you. We did several, we were there for about a week, and we were doing services every night, and so... Man, I'd just never seen anything like this, to be honest. I mean, they, you know, we'd start, we'd start doing the worship, and I mean, people were just, I mean, it was, it was full on right now, okay? And I'll be honest with you, like, I was like a little bit judgy. I was like, man, come on. Like, I was kind of, are these, are these people for real? Like, you know, are they just, are they just raising their hands because they want people to look at them? Like, is this just, is this just for the show? Um, and that's kind of where I was, but a couple nights in, we were there, and uh, again, it's one of our guys was leading the worship, and my job was, you, do you remember the transparencies, like on the overhead, you remember this? This was my role, so I had no worship skills at all, but like I could do the, the overhead. I mean, do, do you know what I'm talking about? The millennials are like, what are, what are you talking about? Anyway, um, sorry, but like, you know, there was this thing, transparent, overhead, and that's how, we didn't have PowerPoint, you'd have to put the, it was a, anyway, I can't explain it. Leave that alone, Eric. But anyway, that was my thing. I was doing the transparencies because they had the worship songs up on the slide, and I would kind of move it up and down. And I'll never forget, we were, fine, we were doing, doing worship there, and there was a little girl in the front row, and I will never forget her. I bet she was, I'm bad with the ages of kids, even though I've got my own. I'm not great at pagan how old they are, but I'd say she was probably eight or somewhere thereabouts. And I still remember she had, again, this was in 2000, so we were just leaving the 90s, but she had this like, purple like windbreaker suit on like pants and anybody have one you don't want to admit it okay okay, Emily thank you for your honesty okay um but that's what she had on and we were worshiping for whatever reason I was just kind of you know doing my thing there and all of a sudden this little girl fell to her knees eight years old and just fell to her knees and just had her hands up and was worshiping Jesus. And I'll never forget that for as long as I live. 
a little eight-year-old girl that probably didn't have all of her theology worked out, all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted theologically. But she loved Jesus. And I want to tell you, it affected me. And I share it with you this morning because I want it to affect you too. One little girl, just worshiping Jesus. But it changed, it changed me. And I thought, I want to worship. I want to be able to worship like that. Not because it's just what you do, but because he's worthy. Amen? And again, I, at different times in my life, I've probably been the disciples. Um, I've probably been the onlookers that think that some acts of worship are in excess or maybe wasteful. Um, and again, they give all these great reasons. And again, the religious folks, this is it's just so true to life. They always give all these great reasons for why what you're doing is just not right or too much in excess. And then, you know, the, I mean, literally, like she's pouring out all that she has to Jesus and they're running numbers, you know, 300 denarii, I could have been given to the poor. Think about how many people we could have helped. And if you can just imagine this, man, I love Jesus and the way he creates awkward moments. <laughs> and this is like right up there with the best of them, okay? You know, it's kind of like when, <laughs> when he, uh, he calls the Pharisees snakes or sons of snakes, a brood of vipers. And the disciples are like, do you know that this offends them? And he's like, yeah, I know that it offends them. That's why I said it. Anyway, but this is also right up, right up there is because they're, they're scolding her. They're scolding Mary for being too excessive in her worship. And if you can imagine this, Jesus sitting there now with this running down over his head, he hasn't said anything up to this point either. either. And he looks at them, those that are scolding her, and he just says, Leave her alone. I mean, you talk about awkward. <laughs> I mean, what did, they, what did they do? He says, why do you trouble her? And look at this. What they thought was wasteful, Jesus thinks is beautiful. She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can go do good to them. <coughs> but you will not always have me. <coughs> and verse 8, this is so interesting. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. So, so again, if you just, like, if you, if you would maybe ask Mark, what does he think about Mary's worship? He's telling the story here. I think it would be fair to say that he thinks that it's insightful and it's sacrificial. And if you'd ask Mark, well, what did the disciples and all those other people, you know, watching this, what did they think about Mary's worship? They said, oh, well, they thought it was pretty wasteful, okay? But what, would, what does Jesus say about the worship of Jesus? Jesus says, it's beautiful, and verse 8, this is so interesting because there's a way in which like we read this, look, just look at this, because I, I read, I, I was super busy this week and I did not give the time that I usually give to studying a passage and, you know, checking commentary and digging into the original language and all that, but I didn't find any commentaries that just, that unpacked this phrase, but this is so, hit me this week. Verse 8, 
Because again, they think it's wasteful, but Jesus says, she's done what she could. So again, Mary's pouring out everything, but what's so interesting about that phrase is, does it not, does that not, does that phrase that says, she has done what she could, does it not kind of sound like, well, yeah, I mean, she's, she's close, she, she did what she could. Like, I, I kind of take that like, she, she could have done more. You're like, what? Like, is that, is that arrogant of Jesus? Here's the deal. It'd be arrogant for us. It'd be arrogant if we would say that, but it's not arrogant when you're Jesus. It's not arrogant when you're the eternal son of God. And again, I don't fully know what, what he intends to do, but she's done what she could. She gave all that she had. But I think there's some implication here that Jesus is saying like, I don't care if you'd have brought a thousand flasks, a thousand pounds worth of precious oil, it still wouldn't be enough for my worth. And you may be hearing that this morning, you're like, is Jesus that arrogant? No, he's not arrogant. He, he's, he's the picture of humility. He laid down his life. But guys, you gotta understand that Jesus Christ is not just a man. He is the very son of God. He's not like anybody else. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 50, again, um, God, you know, through the prophets and the writers of the Psalms, uh, write this, this little verse. I love this. It's God speaking through the prophets, but it's God, you know, they're speaking as if though they are God and speaking for God. And God says this through the prophet, the writer of that Psalm. He says, you thought that I was just like you. And that's what we think. That's why we think there's some sort of limit to how much we should give Jesus. Because, man, he was a really good dude. And, yeah, he died on the cross for our sins, and, man, that was, that was, that was good of him. Man, I'd never do that, and, man, that was, that, was, that, that, that was pretty amazing. No, I'm telling you, we don't get it, folks. We don't get it. The perfect, sinless Son of God, flaming in holiness and righteousness, from all of eternity past. He came and he put on flesh so that he could be broken for us. No matter what we give him, no matter what we give him, it could never be enough. Never, ever, ever. And again, this is why I wanted to jump ahead because I, I just, I haven't been able to get over this this past week again. I'm just reading through these, through the scriptures every, every day with the rest of you, just trying to feed my own soul. But I, I just can't get away from this, some, some comparisons and some contrasts here in the text. And I, and I want to be honest with you. So as you jump down to verses 23 through 24 at the Last Supper, I don't, I don't fully know what Mark intends. So again, exegetical preaching requires that I want, to, I want to try to think the thoughts of the original writer as inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I want to unpack that. And I don't know how much Mark wants us to see here because I want to admit that in, in the, the word for broke in verse three is a, different word for, is a different word in the Greek in verse 22 for when Jesus broke the bread. And the word for poured, um, for poured it in, uh, in verse three where Mary you know, pours it out on him, is, it's a different Greek word in verse 24 when he says that this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many. And yet I just couldn't get away from just feeling like, like there's something that we need to see here. Because again, what we can do this morning, and, and, and again, even up to this point, I just wanna be honest with you, 
is that there's a way to look at this text and to look at Mary's example and say, Mary poured out everything. You, we need to pour out everything. I'm going to go pour out everything. Let's go pour out everything, guys. And, and listen, there's part of me that like, I, that, that's what I want you to get, okay? I do want us to pour out everything, but I never want us to be caught up. I never want us to be amazed by the fact that we might pour out everything. Because even if we pour out everything, it's actually nothing compared to what Jesus poured out for us. Does that make sense? It is his sacrifice that we should continually be amazed with. And if I could just draw a few comparisons and then one very, very, very important contrasting element between what Mary did and what Jesus did. First of all, what Mary gave was very costly. Amen? But what Jesus gave was infinitely more costly. That he gave his life. You know, First Peter says, and you guys know this past, or in 2019, we went through uh, the epistle of First Peter. And he says, you were not purchased with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Not perishable. Silver, silver or gold, man, that's like, the, what could be more valuable than that? It's nothing. It's nothing compared to the precious blood of Christ. Mary's sacrifice was costly, but Jesus' sacrifice was infinitely more costly. Again, Mary, in order for her to uh, pour out her worship, her sacrifice, it had to be broken. Jesus' body was broken. He says that he takes the cup, and guys, we do this every week. And, and I never want it to be lost on us. That he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you. After she broke it, she poured it out. Jesus' blood was poured out. The same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Another similarity is that people didn't get it. People didn't get what Mary was doing. People didn't get the cross. Again, over and over again in Mark's gospel, they're saying, he's saying, it's coming, it's coming, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna rise again, and they're just confused. At one point, Peter rebukes him because they don't get it. They didn't get Mary's worship, they didn't get his sacrifice. But here's something... That's really not a similarity, but a defining difference between Mary's worship, between Mary's sacrifice, and any act of sacrifice that we could ever do, and what Jesus did, is that Mary sacrificed that which was most precious in her life because he was worthy. Amen? But Jesus' sacrifice for us wasn't because we were worthy, but it makes us worthy. And we can't miss that. There's never been anyone 
like Jesus. Worship team, you can come up and we'll close. You know, as we were praying this morning before the service uh, with the prayer team, we one of the things that I was asking God to do and that I wish that I could just flip it on and off. I wish that I could make it happen, but if I'm honest, I, I can't always. But one of the things that I was asking God to do in my own heart was I said, Lord, please, please help me to get my eyes off of myself. And I don't know if you guys struggle with this at all, but like I... Sometimes I just can't, like I hate sometimes that I'm like self-aware. Like what are people saying? Like what are, they, what are they thinking? Like, you know, do I have something on my face? You know, you're all staring at me right now. Like did I pronounce that word right? Like I, I just, I hate it. <laughs> and I don't, and I, you know, and not just, you know, being up here on stage or on Sunday mornings, but just like in all of life, like we're just so constantly made aware and kind of told subliminally that man it's people are watching you people are looking at you people are looking at your facebook page they're checking out your instagram you know make sure you you let them know everybody's and it's like i i just uh we just can't get away from it i can't get away from it in my own heart and and i think that again it's there's so much paradox and, and irony in the gospels but if we're ever going to live lives that magnify the the infinite value and worth of Jesus then we got to get our eyes off ourselves but the only way to get our eyes off ourselves is to ask the Lord to open the eyes of our heart that we would see the infinite value of Christ and guys this morning again I, I, I do hope that secondarily like as you leave here I do pray that this week I've made a prayer this week that as you leave that God would show each one of us places where he wants us to pour out everything where he wants us to give it all up where we come and we don't just trickle out a little bit but we break it and we throw it down and we lay it down to him and it's and, and it's all his but but that's kind of secondary because I think there's no way to even do that unless you first are in awe and stand in amazement of the fact that Jesus did that for you and again the big difference is we do it because he's worthy he did it for us and we weren't worthy, but his sacrifice makes us worthy. And I just want to invite you this morning, I don't care what kind of week you've done, you, you might be so aware of your failure this morning. You might be so aware of all the places that you messed up and not just once or twice, but just things that you just absolutely cannot get over. I want to tell you, the only way in the long run that you will ever overcome your sin is if you get all, your eyes off of you, off of your performance and get them onto Jesus' performance and get him onto what he's done for you. Because I'll just be honest with you again, the Bible outs us over and over and over again. Yet we continue to think that, do this, try harder, I'll be okay. No, no you won't. You're not okay. You're not worthy. But that's what grace is all about, that in, in his grace to us, he makes us worthy. Because he took the punishment that we deserved. And not only did he take the punishment, but he gives us 
all the blessings that are eternally his. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1 says that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us and loved us. So I just want you to come this, or to know this morning as we come, and again, if you're visiting with us here at Mercy Hill, we, we take communion here every week. I want to be abundantly clear. I say this almost every week, but, and I'll continue to do so. Is we, we take communion here every week, not because we think that coming forward and taking of this physical bread and this, you know, this physical juice or whatever, like that, 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 that this little ceremony will in some way save you. It will not save you, but what it represents absolutely is the only thing that can save you, is the only thing. And so we come and we choose to take this every week just as part of our worship so that I hope, I hope that we never forget, that we never forget what he's done for us. Because what he's done for us is unlike anything that we could ever do for him. Amen? Father, thanks for this morning. We love you. We thank you for your word. Jesus, there's nobody like you. Nobody. Even close. Thank you for making us worthy. That you didn't just say it, but you actually did something so that we could know that we can come before you, that we're worthy to come before you because of what you did. We love you, Lord. I pray that we'd be able to continue to worship you now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're helping, sir.